0: This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots. And Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round tip boots and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head to toe suit. And Anthony Smith came right up to me and he's asking me where I got them. I told them the only place to get them took and they have a seasonal limited edition offering It's right now this spring and summer including men's and women's boots apparel hats accessory and more My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday in case you've seen me many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized and with regular live music and events there's no in-store experience quite like it if you can't make it into the store just visit tecovas.com that's tecoba scom they offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and they ship right to your door Go to dacovus.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. And the only thing that would have made this piece better, I didn't plan to make it, but the only thing that would have made it better is if I would have brought my Rolex today, shown it to you, and told you I was the one that robbed Surreal. What's happening, guys? Happy Tuesday! and thank you for joining another special episode of your welcome i hope you enjoyed the holiday and i hope you enjoyed a great day of fights in paris the ufc is on the road again this Saturday for UFC 293 in Sydney, Australia, and coming up on today's show, I'm going to talk about Sean Strickland and how he somehow found his way into a title shot, plus I'm also going to talk about Israel Adesanya's interest in fighting the winner of Chimaev versus Paulo Costa, but before we get to all that, guys, I want to get into Surreal Gon's impressive showing from this past weekend. Surreal gone could not have been better within his performance, he could not have been worse on the microphone. That is the topic that I plan to talk to you guys about today. I planned to break down what Surreal did. My hesitation is, am I right? And I think a lot of you are thinking it. I go to the forums, I read the threads, a lot of people are saying things like that. Why did Surreal not call out Tom? Why? Why did Surreal pass on this opportunity? There is a different way to do things based on where you're at. I must tell you, I've been to France. I've competed in France multiple times. But it was wrestling. There wasn't huge crowds there. It wasn't entertainment. It had nothing to do with the microphone. You weren't trying to bring people in. It was a, it was a very different situation. I'll give you a different example and one that you'll be able to relate to, particularly if you're a hardcore fan, but is Japan. The way that you would fight, the way that you would speak, the way that you would celebrate, the way that you would walk out was very different in Japan, the way we do it in North America is R-rated. Not quite, but for an example, right? There, there's edge to it. We've tested lines many times and found out we don't have them. You can go in what direction you want. You can bring in politics, you can bring in swear words just by example. The audience is gonna get drunk, they're gonna cheer you, they're gonna bully you, they're not gonna remember you the very next day. Like it's just it's a different thing. You can be in America. And have an American fighter who gets booed against somebody from a different land. That doesn't happen in other places. I'm just bringing to you, like, there's some examples that we don't take into consideration. You go to Japan, you could go put on the best performance. You go use curse words, say something of sexual nature on the microphone. You're not coming back. It's a a different thing. And when I watched Surreal, I'm watching this incredible performance from a guy whose back is up against it. He, he was not any happier with the way it went in John Jones, from a competitive spirit, from the way that he approached that and the effort he put into that, than the viewer or even his toughest critic, and he knew it, and he was pulled off a of pay-per-view. Now, the other side of it, he's got a sold-out arena in his hometown, and he's a main event. So it, it's this tough spot of, hey, what are you doing with me here? Am I being pulled in this direction? Have I lost my opportunity until John retires? Is there any way to get back? Well, I'm still a main eventer, and I'm taking guys on, and I got a dude flying over from England sitting in the front row who's planning to call me out. Like, there's a a number of things that are going Surreal's way. So he goes out, and he has an awesome performance. Surreal's a pain in the ass. Could you imagine being stuck in the cage with that guy? He's a very intimidating-looking guy with a very intimidating skill set. Some of the ones to go grapple you, hold you down, is known for their arm bar. It's a different level of anxiety that the opponent is going to feel. And I think that you saw that in the fight. If we were to talk the X's and O's of the fight, we could do it in about 10 seconds. Spivak made it very clear that he had a very good game plan, and he did. He had a very good understanding of what he needed to do. He had an urgency to get his takedown. One thing about takedowns, and I'll tell you this as a wrestler, we have so many guys that want to go out, they want to learn how to defend a takedown. I'm not against that, but it shows your misunderstanding. You're fine to get taken down. Get back up. That's where you should be spending your time. I'm sharing that with you as a wrestler. There's nothing that will break a wrestler mentally or physically faster Then if you scramble back up and he doesn't get to stand on top. If a wrestler gets you down, a takedown is the hardest thing that you can do in the entire sport from an effort and an exertion standpoint. When you get the takedown, you must have time on top. Not just to work, not just to advance, not just to try to attack. To recover. You must have it. If you have a guy that pops up, it's a big problem. Now, Spivik had a real urgency. He respected surreal. He felt that power. He felt those movements. And there's more for the opponent than we're able to see. There's angles. There's distance. There's speed. There's feints. There's things that we don't see as an audience. And it added to the urgency. Like, I have to give Spivak credit and his corner credit. They had the right plan. That was the right way to go and fight. So, real, now, there's an energy. There's an effort. There's different ways you can prepare for that to maybe elongate it. But as far as a strategy goes, he did it right. All of that is a compliment to Surreal, right? You think fighting at home and you think at main events, you think sold out crowds, that sounds really cool, but it creates a massive pressure. It really does. Coming off of a loss, wanting to return, having a guy in the front row that's calling you out, it creates a pressure. You know, you're you going to ask yourself, why does he want to fight me? Why is he not scared of fighting me? Surreal Gun doesn't get called out. Tom was the first guy to do it. Correct me. Tell me somebody that's called out surreal. People don't call out surreal. That's a scary style to deal with. So you get get to the post fight, right? And let's just say, let's say surreal didn't botch the spot. It, it, it's a very surprising thing for me when somebody would blow a moment that's on camera. There, there's a way if you're in the business that you must behave when people are watching. I'm not even talking about camera. When people are around, this was created way back by Vince McMahon in the late 70s. It was called kayfabe. But if you had a guy named Hulk Hogan, who's in his hometown and his real name is Terry Bolia, and everybody knows that. If he was to make a reservation at a restaurant, he will book it under Hulk Hogan. Everywhere he goes, he will go as Hulk Hogan. He will not be Terry Bollea anymore. Just for example, you will you will act that, and that's when cameras aren't around. This before social media, where everybody's got a phone and they're filming, like there's certain things that you do because you understand the business. You want to go build a big fight, you got the moment right there. You got the greatest production in the world on you, on the worldwide leader. You got an opponent sitting right there. You take the Izzy Adesanya approach, and now you've got this fascinating B roll. It's organic, it's natural. Maybe there's an interview. We all know where we're going. We all get up and go home. And you get up today, we don't know who Surreal is going to fight next. We don't know who Aspinall is going to fight next. That's not a mistake that Izzy would ever make just by example most important thing at all of your jobs. You want to do a good job. You want to be there on time. You want the boss to like you. You want to impress them. You want to stay late. You want to work hard. You want to be a clock watcher. I understand those things. It's not the most important. The most important is that you have a job that you can come back to tomorrow. That is number one. So the fight business isn't any different. And you want to elongate. You want to put that off. You don't have a storyline. You don't have somewhere to go with it. It's, It's a very different thing. Take a look at Sean O'Malley. He not only calls out Cheeto Vera that night, he calls for a date. Sean O'Malley goes and fights Cheeto Vera, go makes a bunch of money. That's awesome. But it's different if he makes that money in June as opposed to he makes it in December and then can turn it around again one more time in June. I mean, are are you at all understanding the concept that I'm getting at? Surreal could have been annoyed that Tom had done this. Tom did a great job. Tom not only sold this idea to everybody, he had the announced team. He had got Michael Bisping, Chael P backing him up. He laid out the roadmap. We backed it up. Here's what's going to happen. Now, if that did in fact irritate Surreal and Surreal's way of getting even with him is I know your plan. I know what you've done. I even know the effort that you went into. I know the plane ride you went on. I know the hotels that you stayed at. And you're sitting here right now for your big moment. And I'm not going to give it to you. Like if there was an evil side to Surreal, if I don't think there was, let's just say if there was, I would like it. I would understand it. Now you're playing chess. How is Tom going to deal with that? Well, I'll tell you how he did deal with it, which was perfect. He accepted the forfeit. said, I'm not a bully. I won't call Surreal out anymore. He's made it clear he doesn't want to fight me. I think I'll go fight Sergei Pavlich instead. That's not an exact quote, but this is what Tom said, and it was great. And I'm just sharing with you. It was very interesting because now the ball is back in Surreal's court. Like, There's nobody that you guys would rather see Surreal fight than Tom. There's nobody you'd rather see Tom fight than Surreal. I'm not telling you that that's a massive fight that you really want to see. I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you there's no one you'd like to see him fight more. So when you're in a spot like this and you're in a a division like this, you're generally going to get a pretty stern critique from a guy like me. But It's tough to critique because all I can do within a critique is a comparison. They're all laying an egg. All of them. Tom said, I'll fight Pavlich instead. Now, that's very interesting because Tom had laid out a roadmap that specifically excluded Pavlich, which I thought Sergi would have called out, and his management team, and his fans, and the media, and the promotion itself. Nobody said a word. We went into this weekend with nothing to do with Sergey Pavlich. We went into this weekend with a storyline that was very well told. It was very well set up. It's going to be surreal versus Spivik. Whoever wins is going to take on Tom. Whoever wins that is going to fight John Jones. And I'm not telling you this is the way that it was. I'm telling you, you can't go to print. You can't go to an article. You can't go to an Akamoto, a Ramonde, an Ariel Hawani, You can't go to anybody that you listen to that's telling a different story. And then you have a moment like this, where it appears that you're ignored, and all of a sudden, Sergi gets pulled back into it. And I'm just sharing with you that I find that to be interesting. I do think if Tom is looking to be number one contender, I do think he did his math wrong. I don't think number one contendership goes through Tom versus the winner of Surreal and Spivak. I don't think it ever did. I think it was a good story. I think we'll run with that and then reveal to the audience when it's done that wasn't the number one contenders match. I think now Tom's got it right. I think now he is looking at the right guy. I think Sergi is the right match. And I think he should go for it for a number of reasons. I think he should go for it because if what we're being told turns out to be true, that ends up being a world title fight. Are you guys aware of that? I mean, it's that big of a deal that he goes and gets that fight. If what we're being told is true, which was by John Jones just over the weekend, that this fight with Stipe is going to be the last one. Like, that rumor's been out there. Stevie hasn't dispelled it. John hasn't dispelled it. In fact, it's been supported. Let's just say that turns out to be true, and they step aside. Pavlich Tom has made... Pavlich Tom becomes world title fight. So I I like the direction that we're going. I, I don't know how Tom could go to all this effort and all this work. I mean, Tom Aspinall really built this fight. He really did. The outcome of surreal versus Spivik did not matter until Tom made it matter. All of a sudden Tom tells us what's going to be next. He flies out there, he looks great, he sits in the crowd, he does meet I mean, Tom did everything right. And I think he's still right to attempt to carve that out and find himself opposite package. And Surreal gone. What do they have in common? Well, I'm glad that you asked. Here's what happened. Surreal got robbed over the weekend. Oh, by the way, he got robbed while he was fighting. Now, I don't make light of this. This is a terrible story. But I hear this story in conjunction when I just got done watching this documentary on Watergate and they decided to break into the Watergate thing when Joe Frazier was fighting Muhammad Ali because they knew the whole nation was captivated by it. And the way you used to watch fight back then was over a transistor radio. You'd sit around a radio. There wasn't pay-per-view, a closed caption, and some of these things like that. So everybody, you'd get together with somebody that had a radio, you'd listen to these feeds, and they were right. They walked the streets, and the streets were empty. Police, everybody had their head in somewhere watching a bar. So Surreal goes out and fights. He fights in his hometown, sold-out arena. Everybody knows. Everybody knows that Surreal gone is going to be at this place at this time and somebody went and robbed him. It could have been a coincidence, sure, but is that the guy that you rob? Like, It's just one of these really interesting things. Like, There there seems like some guys that if you're in the burglary business and you vetted them, you vetted them enough to put a plan together to know where they're going to be, and they're not going to be here. Oh, by the way, there's not going to be a whole lot of witnesses around because they're at this sold out arena then you would know who you're... It would just seem like you want to do that, right? That's where the coincidence factor would come in. I feel like somebody, if you're going to rub surreal, I would feel that it would be a complete coincidence. Far more than a vetted plan that likely involves multiple people who will not be able to keep their mouth shut. They stole something that's reported. They stole a Rolex. So they think it, perhaps it's an inside job. Right? Like if your house isn't ransacked and somebody knew right where to go and they knew where to grab it, they knew how to get out, like you've got an inside job. And what are they going to do with the Rolex? Are they going to wear it and run the risk? Are they going to take that to a pawn shop and try to get rid of it? Like what do you do if you have Surreal's Rolex? The only thing that you could do is keep it, but if you keep it, you got to show it off. You have to tell somebody who's going to tell somebody, like this is just a really rough game to play. And it's a real surprising factor for me from a very disappointing standpoint. Like, Surreal worked really hard to have that. Why are you breaking into his house? Surreal was this beloved character. It was this incredible thing to see. I did not know that Surreal Gone was a star. I knew that he was a big name, that he was getting big opportunities, but he was getting that in a division that was very weird. In all fairness, it was. You got John Jones who's coming into it, but he wasn't into it. You got Francis who's on his way out. You got Daniel Cormier who can beat them all, but he's on the outside in a monkey suit, calling the match. I mean, it was just an interesting time. You got Stipe, who's dead set that he's going to come back and he's going to fight Francis. And we're all trying to tell Stepe, hey, I don't think Francis is coming back. Like, it was just one of these times. And so Surreal came up, and I didn't know if he was a star. I didn't know that. But when you have a guy that can sell out arena, it's a big deal. When you have a guy that's a main event on both pay-per-view and the worldwide leader, it's a big deal. And it doesn't generally work that way. I don't know that you guys could offer me a different example. I don't know that you could offer me somebody that is a pay-per-view draw that has sold out on pay-per-view and then has been moved over but sold out again because you needed him for a live gate and you didn't have a PPV that day. Like, I don't think there's another example that you could give me. I don't know how many guys you have on the roster that have sold out in the, the Mecca, which is Las Vegas, oh, by the way, and have sold out in a different country as well. That's a rare level of star. The guy that you could take two different places, and you can do a box office with him. And I throw Vegas in just to prove North America. I was in Houston when he fought Derek Lewis. Derek got the credit for it, but maybe Surreal should have got some of that. Like, he's a big deal. This is an interesting guy. And I felt like he really had his back up against it. Surreal's an easy guy to pick on. Why? Well, because he can handle it. You're not going to upset Surreal. You're going to say something bad about Surreal. He goes around and feels bad about him. So, that guy's beautiful. That guy's a champion. I think that got 16,000 people stopped what they're doing to chant his name. I'm just sharing for you. Is that the guy that you think would get robbed? I mean, I must tell you, of all the predictions I could have given you for the weekend, and I called that main event correctly, I even called the call out. I told you he's not going to call for Tom. I told you they were going to botch the spot. I predicted everything. I didn't predict that. And the only thing that would have made this piece better, I didn't plan to make it, but the only thing that would have made it better is if I would have brought my Rolex today, shown it to you, and told you I was the one that robbed Surreal. Have you guys ever wondered how your personal data shows up on the internet? I'm gonna tell you, you gave some company at some time permission to use your information however they wanted. Perhaps when you clicked on that little box at the end of the online form, you also waved goodbye to your privacy, your address, phone number, where you work. The info found online is endless. This can lead to identity theft it also makes it really easy to access your private accounts i've always said i will fight anyone at any time but there's one battle i prefer not to fight the battle against data brokers it's such a pain to try and get your information deleted from these sites this is why i want to recommend delete me delete me service was so easy and honestly Felt like a high-end luxurious service. All you have to do is complete a short form online with your past and most recent info, and boom, they take care of the rest for you. It takes less than a few minutes to start wiping your personal info off the internet. It's not just one and done either. Delete me, we'll do a new search every quarter to make sure your information has not reappeared. It's like your own personal data concierge. Don't fight this battle on your own. Let DeleteMe go to battle for you right now. Get 20% off your DeleteMe plan when you go join deleteme.com/jail and you use the promo code jail. The only way to get 20% off is to join deleteme.com/jail and enter the promo code jail at checkout. That's www. Join DeleteMe.com slash Chael. Make sure you use the promo code Chael for 20% off. Keep your personal data to yourself. Can you believe we have had seven months without an NFL game? That's crazy, right? Well, good thing is, that's over. The NFL is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving you a can't-miss offer for Week 1. This week, new customers can get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you bet just 5 bucks on any NFL game. DraftKings is hooking everyone up with game day greatness. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every single game day this September. Check the app and see what you get. Download right now. Use the promo code CHAIL when you sign up. New customers can take home $200 in bonus bets instantly just for betting five bucks. That's code CHAIL only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net in New York. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to number 467-369 in Connecticut. Help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, Kansas 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. See dkng.co slash football for eligibility, terms and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Would you guys agree with me? Sean Strickland is the most unlikely UFC title challenger ever. Now, I'm not saying undeserving. That's That's a very different word. I'm saying unlikely. And let me personalize this. The day that I meet Sean Strickland, I'm in the rain training center. We're putting our gear on. And there's a guy. Turns out his name is Sean Strickland. He's with a girl. And we're visiting. And he shares with me that his record is 17-0. and He's the king of the cage champion. He did not share that arrogantly, by the way. I asked him, getting to know each other, putting our gear on. But he said this, and he's 21 years old. Like, to be 17-0 and and 21 has massive math problems. You can't start fighting until you're 18. And by the way, it is really hard to fight a fight. Like, that's a hard thing to do. There's a strategy in that. Maybe you know the right people or your coaches. I mean, there's ways to do it but you're up late, you're emailing, you're finding contacts, you're asking so-and-so for a number, you're badgering, it's it's just hard to get matches. You can't fight until you're 18. He was 21 when I met him, so you're talking about doing six fights a year. Not to mention, I'm a huge fan. I know everybody. I read about everybody. You can be in King of the Cage, you can be anywhere. If you're 17 and oh, I'm going to know who you are. And I let the story go, because he's with the girl, right? So I'm, you know, I'm I'm letting it slide. We get out on the mat, start working out. By the time that practice was over, I didn't know if he was 17-0. But I know if he had 17 fights, he was 17-0. and 0. He, was, he was really good. And not only was Sean extremely good, but there was an attitude as well. I, I can remember how I would drag into those practices. It was a discipline. My motivation was long gone, but I could operate on discipline. And there wouldn't even be a process, right? There'd be cold water in the face to wake up a little bit, a shot of espresso on the web. There was like a way to force yourself onto that mat, particularly for the second workout of the day. This guy was happy, man. He was beaming. You could see it in his eye. He was having fun out there. He was encouraging. He was a great teammate, and he was a very skilled fighter. And where that gets to be even more rare, right, when I'm talking about unlikely, I don't know his background. And I don't mean that he came through King of the Cage or they he had 17 fights. I mean, I, d- I don't know if he wrestled in high school. I don't know if he was a karate guy when he was a young man or his dad was a martial artist and they worked out in the living room. I don't know. I don't know who his trainer was. I know what gym we were at. But I don't think he had individual coaches. I don't think he was doing like mitt workouts and getting some private advice and had somebody really breaking him down and sharing just exclusively with him. I don't, I don't think he did. I don't know that he has that today. As a matter of fact, I know that he's in Las Vegas. I know he trains his ass up, but I also know that he's a coach. I don't know who's coaching him. I know he coaches and is in charge of a number of other people. Like, this is very unlikely. Okay, great. Breaks into the UFC. Now, a guy that wins 17 fights, however you did it and wherever you did it, should be given his chance at some point. So he does this at 170 pounds. I don't have the foggiest idea how he made 170 pounds, but he has a 5-3 and three record. Bought some tough guys, but he has a 5-3 and three record. Now, again, we're tempted to prove the word unlikely. Now, hear me out on this. To change weight classes in the UFC is a very hard thing to do. That is not something that they want done. I mean, they fill divisions. They have contracts. They, they have spots that they need. They, they, they need X amount of people in this weight class, and that's why they signed you to this weight class. If you go and change, you've now dropped the number here, and you've added a number here, I and mean, it just throws the math off. I'm just sharing with you. It's not really the way that it's done. If you're a star, if you've proven yourself, if you've been around, things like this. Alex Perridge has changed the weight class. But you have a main eventer who sold out Madison Square Garden who is a world champion. It's, it's, it's a different scenario. And I think that we understand that. When John Jones decided to change weight classes, it was met with resistance. I'm, just, I'm sharing how unlikely this is. Now, if you have a 5-3 and three record... You weren't a champion. You weren't a threat to be a champion. They don't believe you're not ranked as though you're going to be a champion. You're not a star. You haven't fought on the main cards and the main events yet. It's very unlikely that you're going to be able to go up a weight class. Not only did he go up, he became a main eventer. Not only become a main eventer, he got ranked number six in the world. He extended an opportunity to a fairly unknown commodity, and that was Alex Pierre. And there was a lot of people that thought Alex could win that fight, but they were kind of a, a little bit more of the hardcore or had kickboxing backgrounds and wanted to hope that he could. Now, I'll just remind you, but no one would fight Piero. That is why Pierre ended up with Sean. Pierre, who turned out to be the best fighter in the world, but we didn't know it at that time. This was a kickboxer that didn't have a lot of experience. He had a history with one guy, so the story was kind of driving him through. But we didn't know a lot about him. So that extends to Sean. Goes out there, fights his style. But he ends up losing the match to what went on and turned out to be the best fighter in the world, who, by the way, is gone from the division. Like, do you want to hold that against Sean? How are you going to hold it against him when the guy's not even in the division anymore? It's an interesting conversation. You certainly could. But he then drew in to Cannoneer. Now I can go on and on and tell you about that fight and how I thought it should have been scored, but at the end of the day, he lost the fight. So now you have a guy who's lost two fights in the last calendar year, one of them by stoppage, who's about to fight for a world championship. That is unlikely. That's the only thing I'm attempting to... Is that where... This is a very unlikely thing. And not only is he getting right for the championship, he's the right guy. Even with those two losses in the calendar year, he's the right guy. Israel Adesanya is owed parity. He is owed an ability to go out there and compete and do it with different guys. It would be very hard, not to mention very unfun, to continue to just do rematches, but sometimes it goes that way. Sometimes the the, the top guys don't fall off. They stay there and they rotate, but they rotate amongst themselves, and somebody got, got to keep getting shot out to number one. Izzy wanted the fight, right? I mean, you guys remember this. This fight almost did not happen. As a matter of fact, it was announced that it was not going to happen. It gets announced two days later by Izzy that he's fighting for it to happen. We never even heard a rumor there of who it was going to be. If it wasn't going to be Sean, who was it going to be? I don't know. But I do think that that's interesting. And here we are. And how does Sean plan to win the fight? Like, that's one of the things. Israel Adesanya has never been in a fight where he's been this big of a favorite. And I'm telling you how good Sean is and he's hard to hit. By the way, Sean had a statistic within the UFC where he was the greatest defensive fighter within the division, and they, they, the litmus test for that was how many punches were thrown at you and how many did not land. And I think he learned a big lesson against Pierre, by the way. I think he learned, hey, some of these sharpshooters, some of these guys that really do this, I got to mix it up, I got to change it more. I think it's going to be a very helpful thing, but I am going to get asked the follow-up question, if Sean's going to win, how is he going to win? And I would be curious, because a number of you do think there's going to be an upset. How do you see it? Is he going to take him down? Is he going to do what Yoel Romero could only do one time in 25 minutes? Is, is that it? Is it a grand Does he hold him down? Does he got a submission? He's going to catch him? He's going to beat him up on the feet? I hear a number of lazy people who think that they're intelligent go, well, he could always catch him. I wish you would stop saying that. I mean, the whole catch him thing, like, you, you have seen it, and there are examples, but you haven't seen it very often, and you act like you see it every week. Well, you, know, you can always catch him. He's got that big power. Shut up. You throw out a Buster Douglas example. You can show up on a format against Michael Moore. You can show out a couple of MMAs. He, he catches. Shut up with that. How's he going to beat him? He, like, like Stylistically, it's an interesting match. Izzy's known for his accuracy. Sean's known for his defense. I'm just sharing with you. Like, it's an interesting match, and it's a very unlikely meeting. You're taking the the mouthy American to Australia in a main event to take on the champion. And it's the right match, by the way. And Sean can win that match, by the way. And he is not going to be nervous, and he's not going to be worried. He's not going to be scared like everybody else that fights, is he? He's going to go and fight him. Is he going to win? Well, just like the rest of the story, it's unlikely. going to call out after his match with Sean Strickland. Now, it's it's very relevant. It's a built-in piece of the Adesanya story. He has never left the cage without letting us, the audience, know who's next. And by the way, he's gotten his way 100% of the time. He hasn't said who he wants to fight next. He has said who he's going to fight next and then got to fought that person. Now, there's only two ways the fight can go, right? If Sean Strickland beats Izzy, I'm very comfortable in telling you that Izzy will fight Sean Strickland next there will be a rematch. If Izzy wins, it appears that it's going to be plus C or Chemayev should he beat Paula Costa. And Israel Adesanya spoke about Chemayev in depth, not just saying his name or brushing it off, speaking about him as a very potential future opponent for the first time that I have seen last night. And he was warning Chemayev he, he predicted, he said, I'm leaning towards Chamaev, but he, he did warn him, this guy, Paulo Costa, this is a hard fight. I thought that, that was very interesting, but I also thought that, that was very complimentary of Izzy. I appreciated that he did that. I like when Izzy goes out and puts a guy over. It's, it's a rare thing, but I like it and add it to the fight. And, I, and I'm just telling you, what we think it's going to be Duplessis, make no mistake, there is some marching orders. I mean, Israel has is told Duplessis, you need to be here. Step number one, you need to come here and you need to be here for whatever reason. But he's not joking about that. Like, if he's in the cage that night and he looks out and there's no Duplessis who did not do the one thing that Izzy told him you need to do, I don't think he's going to call him out. And the other side of this, right? When you're comparing stories, the other side of this, it would be hard for him to call out Chemayev. I mean, j- just imagine rhetorically what those words would be. I'm going to fight Chemayev next. If he beats Paulo Costa, like, you, you, you see where it's different? Do you see where it starts to be a problem? Even if he says, I'm going to fight the winner of that, fight, you see where it's, it's, it's different? But I'm sharing with you, if Duplessis isn't there, and therefore Izzy's not going to call him out, which is my prediction. If Duplessis doesn't go, I do not believe he's going to be part of the story you then have a very different spot for Izzy. But I, I would also like to remind you, at least from my perspective, the first time that Izzy said he wanted to fight Duplessis, I didn't even know those guys had heat. I didn't know that any story. I did not know that Duplessis was on the radar or the level of the champion. In fact, when Izzy called him out as part of the call he said, I'm not even going to say his name. I'm going to drag him through Africa. I had no idea who he was talking about. I thought he was calling for a fight and he, and, he, and he was trying to get a location. He was trying to get it in Africa. I had no idea. The tie-in, the backstory. I didn't know who he meant. And it took like two days till somebody else smarted me up and told me what he was talking about. Duplessis. So I tell you that story because we have decided it's going to be between Duplessis and Chemayev. We've decided that. But you have a guy who can create things and bring an in interest to things, unlike anybody else, and he does it at the right time, which is on the mic when the world's watching, not later, not on a dot com, not on so, right there in that moment when emotions are high. So whatever he says, it gets exemplified, and it's an outside the box. But I'm sharing with you: if he gets pissed off and Duplessis is not there, and he sees it my way, which calling a guy out that's got to fight a month from now. It, is hard, there is a chance that he goes after somebody else. The only reason that these names are here right now is because Izzy brought them here. If Izzy chooses to dismiss them, if he chooses to leave the weight class again and go up, as unlikely as these things might be, he could have his back against the wall. I am fully confident in telling you, Izzy's going to follow the Izzy recipe which is fight, cut a promo, line up what's next, let the whole world know, move forward. I'm fully confident in telling you that. But who's it going to be? And while we have decided it's down to two, there's a very different situation if Duplicy does not show up. It's hard to not call him out. It's very difficult to call for the winner of a fight that's down the road. Oh, and by the way, I don't mean it for the blue corner. I only mean it for the red corner. It's just hard. It's a hard call out. It's hard to get those words straight. And then what happens? The champion flies to flight. He sits in the odds. He comes in the race. It, it just puts everything into a very different spot where I don't know how likely that is. And you might think that that favors Duplessis. And I agree with you. But if he doesn't show up, I think it's going to be a problem. And I'm not convinced he is going to show up. I haven't heard of it. Tom Aspinall let everybody know where he was going. Travel days tomorrow. Just so you know how fights work. Doesn't matter where the fight is. Recipes this that say everybody flies in on Tuesday. Is DuPlessis going to be out there? Is he going to be doing interviews? I don't know. We're going to find out very quickly. If he is there, I think he puts himself in a very good position. But I'm sharing for you the whole concept that Izzy's next opponent will either be Chimaev or DuPlessis and Izzy's going to let us know. We created that concept. There could be another story and there could be another guy and there could be another plan. And only Izzy knows. case of Yuri Prohaska appears to be continuing. Now, I'm into this from a positive standpoint. I hear comments wh- where I'm negative, and I'm not really sure where our misunderstanding is. I'm interested in Prohaska. The only reason I'm talking about it is because I'm interested in him. I'm interested in his return. I'm also interested in watching his star rise from the return. He was dealt tremendous adversity. He had his belt taken away from him, and what was believed and even reported was career in it. Why would you take his belt away if he could come back? If he could come back, let him come back. It a really interesting spot, and he's battling his way through it. I think it's a great story. But according to Prohaska, for the first time, like getting information on Prohaska is wildly difficult. Hearing from Prohaska is a very regular thing. Keeps up with social media, gets out there. But the questions that get asked of him just adds to the mystery. I mean, like for, for example, told that Yuri Prohaska's clear. Cold that he's coming back told that as we're looking at the card, we should consider for December Yuri Prohaska, which would likely be against Alex Pierre. I'm in. I have no problem with that. What is different though? Like, what do you know? What have you been told? Who told you that he's clear? Because we were told that for the first time by him nine months ago. And, And it was backed up eight months ago and seven months ago and six months ago. We've never heard a different story. His trainers, his coaches, like everybody's telling the same story. So who is it now that has cleared him? Is it the doctor? Did he file for a license? Did a commission officially clear him? Was there an x-ray that had to come in and we got it done and the MRI filed? like, Like what, what is it that happened that has changed things? And I don't mean for this to be a very convoluted question. It's been the question the entire time. Every single fighter that says he's ready to go means he's ready to go. That is the litmus test. Who wants to do this? You raise your hand. They then have a commission that's going to do their checks and balances, and and here you go, and there's the fight. Like, there's nothing new here. But Alex Pierre, who does appear to be the right guy, appears to be the number one contender, that's the fight we're expecting. That's the fight that we want to see, particularly with the absence of Jamal, who's also been very difficult to get a report and get a date or even a speculation of a return. So... When you have Piera and you have Prohaska, which would appear to be a world title fight, Piera called out Anthony Smith. He did this one week ago. Like as much as I don't know and you don't know what is going on with Yuri Prohaska, where is he? What what is actually going on there? When is this return? What should we expect? As much as we don't know, I will share with you. If anybody does know, it's guys within the division. Nobody can keep a secret. You get a word out three ways: you telephone, telegraph, or you can tell a fighter. They're all gonna blab. And when Piero, who clearly would like a world title fight, who appears to be the guy as a former world champion, is calling out Anthony Smith, he would know. If anybody would know what is really going on, it's him, I would think. And that's not the direction that he went in the media. And by the way, I don't remember when Piero's called anybody out. Like, I don't actually know what happened there when he called out Anthony. Anthony didn't know. Anthony's response, like, hey, what's up? How do I handle this? I'm I'm happy to do it. I'll go with it. Is this really like this? This has caught me off guard. Great opportunity for me. I'll take it. it, He said this. Like, these were Anthony's words. I mean, I didn't really know what to do. I actually sent a text to his coach, Glover, to share. I said, what am I supposed to do with this? I'll play ball, but what am I supposed to do? I'm just sharing that with you that if there is a belief that Prohaska is returning, we've all been told when he returns, it's going to be for a world title fight. We would assume that it's going to be against Piera. And we would assume some conversations are going on behind the scenes. Like, that's how this is done. And Piera went in a different direction. That didn't involve Prohaska, and it didn't involve a world title fight. And I'm just sharing with you, like, it just adds to the wonder. Like, what exactly is happening here? And I'd like to go back to the beginning. I would like to go back to when we took the belt off of him. I mean, he announces he's hurt. It's within six days. He's off the card. His belt is gone. It's the worst injury that's ever been seen. That's a quote. Which would lead you to believe that his career was over. I mean, this was like really devastating news on a human level. And he was keeping his head up. And I mean, he was doing everything right. It was, it was, it was a real winner's story. But that happened simultaneously with the heavyweight champion Francis Ngannou having sat out at that point 10 months with an injury, MCL, he's getting the leg redone, he's in a contract dispute, but you have the heavyweight champion, they didn't pull the belt off, they didn't even threaten it, they didn't even threaten the interim championship for 10 months, 6 days, he loses his title. That's interesting, and that's peculiar, and if this was human error, or there's a miracle, or there's some kind of a new, like, I'm all for it, I'm all for a misdiagnosis, but what did happen? I'm very curious about that. And where is the return? And what is the big secret? And what is the delay? And how come his opponent, Alex Piera, doesn't know? Is he back or is he not back? I'm for either one. I'm just not comfortable telling you he's back because we're being told that he's back. We were told that last month and the month before and we can keep playing that game all the way back to January. So where is Prohaska and what is the holdup? And if there is a holdup, what is it? What needs to be cleared? Who needs to say you're okay? Because for the 763 other guys under contract, they need to say they're okay. That's the answer. Do you want to fight and can you fight? And whatever comes out of your mouth is the answer. If you say my foot hurts and I can't do it, fair enough. You're out. And somebody else might go, your foot, what are you talking about? Who cares? Whose foot doesn't hurt? That's not how this game is played. He will tell us what he has told us. Prohaska has told us, I'm back. But he's told us that for 10 months. Is there any way to actually get an answer to that question? Sean O'Malley's next opponent is going to be Cheeto Vera. Now, I'm confident in telling you that, and I'm not breaking news for you. I'm confident in telling you that. I don't believe that Aljo is going to get an immediate rematch. I don't believe that Marab is going to get the fight. Now, I like that they're working for it. I like this direction that they're going. Here's the issue. The December card is the only pay-per-view that's left. And And there's a very interesting fight going on behind the scenes that I think more people should be talking about. I mean, just just for example, so you have one pay-per-view that isn't spoken for. You have Conor McGregor claiming he's going to fight Michael Chandler. Now, we can't take Conor's claims for what we used to be able to take the claims for, but I'm just sharing with you, if Conor doesn't get the date, he's going to lose it to somebody else and he's a very competitive guy. Like, that's an interesting story for me. You have Volkanovsky, who has now publicly said he's not going to do the Islam fight next. He's going to stay at 145 because the Islam fight would be into next year, 2024, and he wants to fight this year. Okay, great. Well, as you look at the calendar and what's available and what's left, again, it would drive you to the December card. You then have Leon and Colby, that are supposed to fight this year, and I think are supposed to have that card. I believe that they're penciled in, and that just hasn't been announced to us. That's what I think, and out of nowhere, you have Sugar Sean calling for the date. Now, that is extremely relevant, and here's why, okay? Cheeto's next. Cheeto's next for a number of reasons. None stronger than the fact that Sean O'Malley says that he's next. Then you have the evidence that Cheeto according to many athletic commissions, beat Sean O'Malley. You then have the fact that I believe Cheeto Vera was the unannounced backup fighter the night that Sean became world champion. I believe the entire reason Cheeto was put on that card against Pedro Munoz was if something happened in the main event, you could grab him and pull him up. When when guys do those favors, when guys are put in those positions, they're next. The most relevant thing is you're always going to have a what if, and guys should always be playing that card because things change in this sport fast. So just by example, Cheeto gets hurt. Do you think Cheeto's the kind of guy that's gonna pass on an opportunity because he's hurt? You could have that debate, but before you have that debate, they don't have a date locked in. And I don't believe that December, even though Sean called for it, is even in the cards. So what what I'm sharing for you is it doesn't appear to me that there's a situation where if Cheeto got injured and couldn't go when he wanted to go, they don't have a date. I believe they would just move that. There's plenty of companies. There's plenty of other things that they've got to do. I don't believe that there's going to be a scramble that would then create an opportunity. And we see those all the time. We're seeing one this weekend. This is, this is how Sean Strickland at rank number six is going in against Izzy. Like, these things matter a lot. And, and there's just not very many times in life, I don't know of any as a matter of fact, where you get a job that you don't ask for. So I I do believe that Marab is doing everything right. I believe that Aljo is doing everything right. I also believed one week before Sean became world champion that the true number one contender was Corey Sandhagen, and I've been told by sources that he hurt his hand elbow, something with his arm, but like had a surgery, that he's out, I think that Nurmagomedov is going to be a very meaningful person within that division. But I know that he's hurt. I was never told what ailed him, but he was supposed to compete the week before and pulled out because of an injury. So he's off the board. And it's it's one of these spots where as you start to look at the chess and you start to look at the maneuvering, you then have to appreciate and see what Henry Cejudo doing. Henry is trying to get a fight with Marab. That's a very hard fight. It's a very, very hard match for both guys, but that would also be very meaningful. It'd be very easy for Henry to claim number one contendership, not to mention the parity. It'd be tough if Aljo was still the champion. The pieces are different. It'd be very compelling for him to claim that and then go after Sean after he deals with Marab, which is far more likely than Henry going right in after Sean, even though that's what he's liked, He, he what he would like. He understands that's probably not possible. And so it, it's just one of these peculiar positions where we could keep talking about something that's already decided, and we can keep making an argument. That's not necessarily the wrong thing to do. But at some point, you're going to have to come to terms with, I'm not the guy. And when you can't get what you want, you got to go after the next best thing. What was your goal or not? You have to do I mean, it's a Terry Brands model. Comes to the Olympic Games. He wants to be champion. He gets beat in the semi He's got to come back and get the next best thing, which is third, which is never what he wanted. But that's the way this game is played. Henry doesn't want to fight Marab. Henry wants to fight Sean. But he's looked at the board. He sees that isn't going to happen. At least not next. Okay, great. Do I want it two fights from now? Three fights from now? Do I never want to know? Or do I want to put myself in the best position for likelihood to become number one contender with the least amount of work, which is one fight instead of three? That's the strategy that Henry's invoking. Henry's very good at this game. I'm just sharing this for you. I'm sharing some of the moving parts here. I really believe what Sanhagen did was meaningful, but Sanhagen hasn't said it. Sanhagen isn't calling for it. Maybe that's because he's hurt. But it comes back to my example that you don't get a job that you don't ask for. Right? I don't know what's up with Nermagomedov. I don't know. it has been very quiet. I wouldn't even know how to get a hold of him. But I trust something, and he's mending. And he's not claiming, even with his beautiful record, that he's the number one contender. He's well aware. I got work to do. I owe a fight. I'll go and do the fight. You got Marab. He's red hot and angry. And I think that he should be. And I think he's awesome. I just don't think he's going to get in front of Chino, And I think that deal's already been made, by the way. And when you hang on, you want to be backup fighter. Like, th- those are really good positions. They come with high risk, but they come with high reward. This, this scenario is a little bit different because the date hasn't been given. And one of the most interesting battles in MMA right now, which is going on behind the scenes, is the fact that Conor wants on December, Volk says he's doing December, Colby and Leon, to my understanding, have been penciled in for December, and now Sugar Sean, the rising star, has called for the date. One of them's gonna get it. How? How are they gonna play those cards? How are you gonna get it? That's the battle that nobody's speaking about. And that's what's making that card, for me, very interesting right now. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And I do hope you enjoy all the UFC 293 Fight Week coverage. Just remember that the fights are in Australia, and there is a time difference. And I do hope that you come back on Friday for my official predictions. Until then, everybody, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.